0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary.
1: VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography, as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap, a lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square.
2: Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. <laughs> 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 oh, ho, ho, ye of little faith okay
1: let's do this welcome
2: <laughs> did you like that i'm eating a twizzler also Kate. that's much more in keeping with the music of this show that we're talking about today true true mm-hmm.
1: welcome <laughs> much better hey you're at theater geeks anonymous <laughs> where we talk about broadway flops shant oh my gosh i do that every time yeah, Sandals. <laughs> we talk about scandals. <laughs> Broad flops, scandals, and
2: new works. Who fails, who sues, we tell their story. <laughs> we tell it. And today, it's going to be moi.
1: <laughs> Ebony is going to
2: tell it. I'm going
1: to tell you it. You know, whenever anybody says
2: moi, I think of Miss Piggy. No. So can you imagine I if we like the MOMA exhibit that has all of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Not MOMA. Eh, the it is moving image. It's a MOMA. No, it's not. I don't think it's MOMA. It's not. It's the movie It's Museum yeah. of the Moving Image. That's like in Astoria, where we live and record this so podcast. It's the MoMi. <laughs> the that's right it's a mummy <laughs> yeah I've never been there it's so close but I've never yeah. been there they, they've they've just had the exhibit up for a month or so mm-hmm. I'm, I really want to see it one of my friends is like she did an Instagram story because I think she went yesterday mm-hmm. and she, she was so cute she was like when she saw like Kermit she was like I cried mm. she saw Rover she, it just said I cried and she saw Miss Piggy in her wedding dress and she was like I cried again <laughs> So guys, I would cry, too. That's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, it's our childhood. It's absolutely our childhood. And then it was also Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So she just, it was like Sesame Street and Jim Henson's Muppets. And it's like, she's beside herself. She's like, it's like yeah. all your childhood in one space. Like, All right, so guys.
1: <sighs> Tell me.
2: It's Halloween.
1: Yep. Ooh.
2: And this week's episode is going to be American Psycho. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm excited about this. So here's the thing. American Psycho is on YouTube. The whole thing?
1: Yes. Oh. So
2: I was able to watch it. Let me tell, have you watched the movie? I've never seen the movie and I've not read
1: the book. Oh, it's a book? Yeah. I didn't realize it was based on a novel. Sam, learning new things Mm -hmm. because I've seen the movie and that was (laughs) strange. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, that's all I can say. Like, I don't have any other words for it. It's just very strange. Yeah. Well, let's get right into it, and we'll definitely talk about why it's strange and it's very a very controversial piece. Okay. All right. So American Psycho uh, is a book that was uh, released in 1991, and it was written by Brett Easton Ellis. It was already the most controversial novel of the 90s. Its vivid depictions of gruesome murders of women, men, children, and animals proceeded wherever it went. The original publisher dropped it and told author Brett Easton Ellis to keep the money, but to please go away. Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! The New York Times titled its book review, Snuff This Book. (laughs) On the opposite coast, Los Angeles Times begrudgingly wrote that free speech protects even American Psycho. Wow. The National Organization of Women attempted to organize boycotts. Stores refused to order it, and Ellis, who turned 27 around its release, received death threats. (laughs) This is all from a Rolling Stone article it's from so March ironic, 31st, though. Can you, you imagine getting a death threat for writing a book about murder? Yeah. Like, come on, people. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, in 1992, Edward R. Pressman acquired the film rights with Johnny Depp expressing interest in playing the lead role. I could see that. Yeah, me too. It took eight years for the film to be made. The screenplay for the film was adapted by Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner, who... Uh, plays Patrick Bateman's girlfriend in the movie. Movie. Okay. Mary Heron and Christian Bale were tempor- temporarily replaced by Oliver Stone and Leonardo DiCaprio, but Leo left the film to do the beach. Oh. Instead, and and Heron and Bale were brought back on to make the film. What the heck? Can you imagine? Here's, here's a really cool thing about that. Yeah. So, like, after Christian Bale and Mary Heron got fired, Mary had said to Christian at some point, like, this is our piece. Like, this is ours. Mm -hmm. And he took that so deep in his heart, even when they were fired, Mm -hmm. he continued to work out like he was going to be in the movie. Wow. He continued to act like like he was still in that mode of, like, Mary said this was our part. I'm going to play this part. This is going to happen. Yeah. And so in this article... (laughs) (laughs) they they said he would, like, still call her while she was, like, having dinner with their family and stuff and be like, okay, so in this scene, we can do this thing. (laughs) I mean, he was totally in it, and she was like, so we got fired. Do you remember that day we got fired? And he was like, no, you said this is our part. This is happening. I'm not giving up on this. And he didn't, and they got the part back. That's cool. And the thing was, was, like, initially when he was going to take... The part, a lot of people said to him, "Uh, this is, like, going to ruin your career. Like, don't take this part. (laughs) And it
1: ended up making him. It absolutely made his career. Do you know, that's what I've heard, though, about Christian Bale, too, though. He's a very method. He is very, like, when he, he's a very, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis kind. Where, when he's doing a role, he does not let that role go. He is in it completely, Mm -hmm. you know, 24-7 until the movie is done shooting.
2: Yeah. Um, the movie is set two years earlier than the book. So the movie set in, excuse me, 1989, uh, but the book is set in uh, like right around the time it was released, so like 1991. Okay. Um, an explicit sex scene, which is referred to in the musical actually, oh. <laughs> was cut from the movie in order to make it an R rating instead of an NC-17 rating the movie was explicit. I can't imagine having something more explicit. Wow. In 2013, it was announced that there was to be a television series in the works. Oh, I heard about that. I'll talk about that. Like at the very end a little bit. I'd like to hear more about that. um, But, um, Brett Easton Ellis stated that he felt the story worked better as a book than a movie because the movie is forced to answer, Uh, what was meant to be an open-ended question in the end. Although, like, in doing research on this, a lot of Mm -hmm. people still don't really know. So... um, I don't remember the end. The the ending is, like, you don't... The ending is basically you don't really know if he actually did all this killing or not. Mm,
1: Oh, that's right. It's like a Jacob's Ladder or, like, a... Right.
2: Like a dream. So the thing is, is, like, people still felt that same way with Mm -hmm. the ending of the movie. Um, was that you d- You don't actually know if he did all the murders or not. Right. But I guess Brett felt like it did close it mm-hmm. more than he would have liked it to, uh, more than his book did. Sure. So, so that's why he didn't love it so much. Uh, the film received generally positive reviews and was a financial success, with critics mainly praising the screenplay and Christian Bale's performance. Even though he had initially been advised that taking the part would be career suicide which is what i already said (laughs) bell found his inspiration for patrick bateman and tom cruise's appearance on the late show with david letterman so apparently there was an interview (laughs) that he did which like i didn't keep digging because it was like a lot already with this being a book and a movie Mm -hmm. so i already had a lot but like, if you can google it try and find this this uh david letterman interview with tom cruise it's (laughs) yeah Bale saw and Cruz a very intense friendliness and nothing behind the eyes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. That's a very good description.
2: Ironically, Cruz is a character in the novel American Psycho. (laughs) He lives in the same apartment building as Bateman, and they meet on an elevator where Bateman screws up the name of Cruz's film Cocktail, calling it Bartender. (laughs) Bale also used Nicolas Cage's live wire performance in Vampire's Kiss as, Im- as inspiration for Bateman. The film budget was $7 million, and it had a box office take of $34 million. So wow, it, did, it right. did well. Yeah. Uh, and I think there was a U.S. box office take okay. of $34 million.
1: Especially for it being such a controversial yeah. film.
2: But sometimes that adds to That's it. Like That's People are like... Ooh, I'm not supposed to see this. I'm definitely going now. <laughs> That's true. You know? All right. So, why is this musical worthy?
1: Why, Ebony? Tell uh, me.
2: We'll, well, we'll find out why some people <laughs> thought it was. Tell me now. We'll, we'll find out what people think this. In 2008, producers David Johnson, Jesse Singer, Nate Belotin. And Aaron Ray purchased the stage rights and were developing a musical adaptation of the novel to appear on Broadway. So this was not meant to be a a musical adaptation of the movie so much as like the source material of the book. Okay. Jesse Singer had seen the movie in 2000 and subsequently read the book. After reading the book, he said that he saw it as a Broadway musical. I don't know how. Yeah, I I've not seen the movie because like I don't think I can like handle. No,
1: don't watch it because you'll you'll keep that in your yeah. mind. I still have moments, and I this has been twenty years since yeah. I've seen the movie, and I feel like I've still got images in my head about yeah. it.
2: I yeah I I mean the the musical was enough where like thankfully I think the Lord protects my mind sometimes and I saw it in daytime yeah whereas like does make a difference it does because like when I watched um the Bonnie and Clyde musical yeah even though it's not near as no. dark as American psycho I still like the songs and the haunting mm-hmm. of that like because well, you haunt- know
1: they're real people yeah yeah
2: it sat with me like through my sleep until I woke up the next morning and I was like, I watched that way too late. Yeah. I should have watched it earlier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he felt like he, he saw it. He said, I just saw that the pairing of music, fashion, food, and art, uh, it would be entertaining and have a deep connection to where we are as a society now, which. Yeah. Like, definitely the story is still super relevant. Absolutely. Super relevant. Um, by January of 2011, a rough draft of Act One had been written. In the fall of 2011, a New York workshop was done, and Benjamin Walker, who would later reprise the role on Broadway, played Patrick Bateman. Okay. In July of 2013, I actually thought this part was pretty cool. In July of 2013, Jesse Singer opened up a Kickstarter called Patrick Bateman, live on stage, bring a raincoat. (laughs) He raised $154,929 with the goal of bringing it to the Alameda Theater in London, which he succeeded. That's awesome. So they had their tryout at the Alameda Theater. The creative team is as follows. Music and lyrics were written by Duncan Sheik. Oh, Spring Awakening. Yep, yep. Uh, And also, he did some music for uh, the Mother Courage that was at Classic Stage Company two Decembers, two Decembers, two, uh, yeah, two Decembers ago, December slash January's ago. Uh, The book writer was Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. The director was Rupert Gould, and the choreographer was Lynn Page. All right, so I'm going to give a synopsis. (laughs) All right, so Patrick Bateman is a 26-year-old investment banker living in New York City. As the show begins, Bateman documents his morning routine, which involves fastidious grooming, tanning, and carefully selecting a designer suit before traveling to Wall Street. The opening song is morning routine slash selling out. Now, selling out uh, is also a single that Duncan Sheik put on um, what his album that came out, like, that same year. Okay. And so it's also, like, this music video. Oh.
1: <laughs> so I
2: was, With like... With American
1: Psycho in mind? Is that the theme of the video? Well,
2: I mean, uh, it's uh, uh, Benjamin singing it. He's, oh. like, in the music video. Oh, cool. And so it's, it's not... The music video doesn't look like the the musical okay um it looks like a music video but it's like uh benjamin is it's like his face and then there's like dancing it's got this like (laughs) early 90s late 80s sort of like techno feel to it um it's (laughs) it's something okay uh he arrives at pearson pierce the elite bank for which he works and is greeted by his doting secretary jean um, who sings the song Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which everyone knows that song. <laughs> yep. Um, and she was played by Jennifer Damiano. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah from uh, Next Next Spider-Man Normal. and Next to Normal. Yeah.
2: Uh, which, also, Alice Ripley is in American Psycho, and she was her mother. Oh, uh, cool. I like <laughs> that. I like hearing that. really cute. <laughs> she was her mother in Next to Normal. She's uh, Patrick Bateman's mother in American Psycho. Nice. Uh, he anxiously uh, inquires about the Fisher account, an exclusive account that is highly sought after by Patrick and his colleagues. Later, Patrick has lunch with his co workers, Tim Price, Craig McDermott, Lewis Carruthers, and David Van Patten. They exchange fashion tips and critique restaurants before another colleague, Paul Owen, remember that name, enters. <laughs> Patrick learns that Owen has secured the Fisher account as well as reservations at a fancy restaurant that they're all obsessed with. Um, Owen mistakes Patrick as Marcus Halberstram. So he walks into uh, the restaurant they see him. Owen mistakes Patrick as Marcus Halberstram, another coworker of, co-worker of Bateman's, and then like actually talks about what a douche Patrick Bateman is to oh, Patrick. I
1: remember the scene <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um Patrick then invites him to his birthday party thrown by his girlfriend, uh Evelyn Williams. Um and so then it cuts to like she's there with uh, her friend, like setting up his birthday party and they sing this song, You Are What You Wear, which I actually really liked that yeah? song. Yeah, cool. It's like a it's it's a lot of fun. It's it really plays to this whole idea of like materialism mm-hmm. and um Yeah, it's the the vapidness of that lifestyle absolutely and, and, uh, yeah anyway uh, it ha- actually you know what it reminded me of in Aida oh yeah what's that song that Sherry Renee sings <laughs> it's like basically you are what you wear yeah. it's like the same like they sound completely different oh, shoot man but I think it's yeah. actually called I think it might be called the same thing. You actually. are. You, I, th- I feel like it is yeah. too, but maybe that's only because you just said it. I know. It could be. Let me look it up. Okay, but it—they uh, definitely they have a completely different sound, but they are basically the same thing. Um, those two songs. Uh, Patrick and Price arrive at Evelyn's townhouse late, which irritates Evelyn. Um, over dinner, the party blandly punted. They. Blandly pontificate about social and political issues such as homelessness, gentrification, and the Sri Lanka Civil War. Patrick makes... Strongest a, suit. Sorry. Ah, yes! Strongest suit. But it, they... But yeah, I know. It has that same... It totally does. Uh, ...feeling. <clears throat> Patrick makes a scene by butchering his birthday cake with a huge knife he is carrying. <laughs> After dinner, Patrick and Price go he to He just a, happens to be carrying Yeah. Just like in where? Like, where it. are you carrying I this know. in your designer in suit? In breast
1: pocket that I he had custom made custom for made. The, exactly the size of the butcher knife he'd be carrying. Just like so.
2: <sighs> He's got a thigh holster. <laughs> so weird. Um, after Patrick and Price uh, go to a club, after they're finished, Patrick meets a homeless man on the street offering him money before taunting him and
1: murdering him. Oh, yeah. I remember that scene, too
2: uh at the gym the next day patrick's coworkers work out and comment on the physiques of their female instructors in a song called hard body <laughs> meanwhile it is revealed that patrick is having an affair with courtney courtney is uh one of his his friends fiance uh but this friend is also in love with patrick because he's gay and Patrick continues, like, he continuously tries to tell Courtney that, like, your fiancé is gay. Yeah. And she's like, you stop saying that he's gay. Even though Patrick's like, well, but, like, he wants to be with me. He's gay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> let's see. Bah, bah, bah. But she's having an
2: affair, so, like... <laughs> like she's it's like what is here with Patrick. Right. Which that scene was really weird. It was involved it? like a huge stuffed pink bear. I don't <laughs> Was it
1: Courtney's bedroom?
2: Yeah. Well, well that's probably was why. Was it Courtney's bedroom or his broom? Like I really couldn't tell yeah. honestly cuz it's oh. not in the in the musical it's not super well defined. Okay. Uh it's a very minimalist set. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of it. Really feels like a movie,
1: though, too. Like very
2: minimalist. Yeah, they probably just
1: took the idea. I mean, like the the visual of the movie. They probably took because it's very it's very iconic for that movie. Yeah,
2: that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I think too that has something to say about. This world that Brett was trying to create where it's like, I understand why people got angry, Mm -hmm. but I'm also like, he's saying
1: he kind of shined a mirror, right?
2: That's like he's not saying this is how you should be like the whole point of this is to outrage you. And make sure that you still feel something because like what he's saying is like our society is going down this path where like we are so consumed with celebrity and money and Mm -hmm. fashion and all these vapid things that like don't mean anything
1: that some, you know, that now other people don't mean anything either. Yeah, absolutely. Like
2: that's the point of Brett's book. Mm -hmm. And and so, and so while I understand, Like, I understand, like, people are like, this is so violent, this Mm -hmm. is so dark, but, guys,
1: you know... The best novels, the best movies, the best shows are the ones that show us where we went wrong, but also give us hope for a better future. Yeah,
2: and and I think, like, the open-endedness of the book and the musical and the movie... Are all like, there's a choice to be made. Yeah.
1: Which would you rather? Would you rather have uh, Patrick Bakeman killed all of those people, yeah. mutilated their bodies, treated women like absolute crap? Yeah. Or would you rather it had just been a horrible nightmare that he wakes up from and he never does a bad thing in his life? Yeah.
2: <laughs> there's like, yeah. there's a choice to be made, and it's a choice that we all have. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, So Patrick meets his friends at the gym and attempts to strangle Lewis in the steam room. Lewis interprets Patrick's actions as a sexual advance and begs him to continue. Disgusted, Patrick flees. (laughs) During the intermission uh, of a showing of Les Mis, Evelyn broaches the subject of marriage with Patrick, who is not convinced by the prospect in the song, If We Get Married. (laughs) Patrick heads to the meatpacking district and picks up a prostitute named Christine, introducing... Himself to her as Paul Owen.
0: Oh. So that's why I said remember
2: that name. It's coming back around. Yep. He hires another prostitute named Sabrina and pays the two to engage in violent.
1: Yes. It's bad.
2: I, it's just We don't bad. have to say anymore.
1: No.
2: Um, But that's the scene. That's the
1: scene that stuck with me in yeah. the movie.
2: And, and, and they cut like. It was supposed to be worse, apparently. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, because I did
1: wonder about that when I watched the movie, because later in the movie, those uh, at least one of the prostitutes is introduced again mm-hmm. and says, you know, last time I had to have surgery. But I was like, "That I don't know what that means. Like, I didn't understand what right. that meant because right. it had been cut. So right. now it makes more sense. Yeah. Um,
2: and then in the musical... It's obviously it's not uh it's not explicit mm-hmm. um but it, there's two scenes with the two prostitutes and so like the first one in act 1 that they're referring to is it's you know it's it's dark
1: yeah
2: <laughs> um but the scene with them in act 2 is Oh much worse. It's like it takes you down
1: this tunnel of like you you need therapy afterward. Yeah. Like it's really the places that the the human mind can go. Yeah. I have no doubt that that can actually oh, I, be true. We listen
2: to true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. We know people's minds go down yeah. their path. But it's it's difficult to
1: understand it coming from a, a mind that is healthy. Yeah. <laughs>
2: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 80 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so <clears throat> um, on Christmas Eve, Patrick waxes lyrical about Lamez to Jean, and the two discuss their plans for the holidays. Patrick escorts his mother to Evelyn's Christmas party where he binges on drugs and alcohol uh, with the song Mistletoe Alert. He runs into Paul Owen at the party and invites him back to his apartment. Um, The two dance to "Hip to Be Square," which is actually a pretty cute scene. It's in the movie. "Hip to Be Square" is a huge part of the movie too. It's really it's it's a pretty cute scene until it goes downhill. (laughs) And Patrick spikes Owen's drink, puts on a raincoat, and begins a long one sided analysis of the artistic and commercial merits of the band Huey Lewis and the News, (laughs) while wearing a raincoat and using a weapon to do something where the raincoat
1: becomes very important. Yeah.
2: And then after stating the world is better off with some people gone, implying at once both himself and Owen, Patrick kills Owen. I won't tell you how because it's. He kills him. Mm-hmm. In the movie that was Jared Leto,
1: was Paul Owen. Uh huh. Who was really good uh, across from uh, Christian Bale. Like they really? really. It was really a fantastic. Because it's so interesting, Paul Owens' character really couldn't care less about Patrick Bateman. You know what I mean? Right, he's no. a successful guy. He's living on cloud nine. He's got money. He's got women. He's yep. got whatever he wants. And Patrick Bateman is just this, He's he is focused and, and intense, but also desperately jealous of this man so in the scene where this all happens you know Paul's just sitting on the couch chilling out he thinks we're just having a drink at Patrick's house like no big deal at all oh what's all this plastic around the place I'm renovating oh cool yeah and he takes a drink and then that's when Patrick like behind him Puts on the raincoat, just very methodically. Everything is very laid out and planned, but Pat Paul doesn't see anything coming. It's really a very cool scene. And that's the one, too. It's,
2: like, where you get this shot almost through a picture mm-hmm. window. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. The The way they did it in the musical is, like, so he... Um, the way they put the couch that Paul Owen is sitting on, uh, the couch's back is to the audience. Oh, and so you see Ben uh, come down, way downstage and, like, put his coat on. And then there's a plastic curtain that he then pulls oh, from one side of the stage that's to the other. brilliant, uh, To also protect the audience. Because, yeah. actually, there, there were times when blood would actually get on audience members. Yeah. So the curtain was, like, a nod to the movie, obviously. Yeah. But also, like, to actually protect the live that's audience. That's really cool. So um, and then actually, instead of going behind uh, uh, Paul, he actually like does does the deed. Yeah. So like Ben, Ben goes in front of where. So Paul's back is to the audience. Ben goes in front of him um, and then you see him doing the deed real violently. Wow. Yeah. Cool.
1: I mean, that sounds really, like, artistically, like, yeah. that sounds really cool. And that
2: obviously makes sense because, like, it's the stage. So, like, you have to hide yeah. the magic that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, if, if they did it so everyone could see, it, like, it would lose, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to do. Um, so, Patrick, in Act 2, Patrick takes Owen's body to an apartment he owns anonymously and dissolves it in a bathtub with a bag of lime. Afterwards, he lets himself into Paul's apartment and stages his disappearance by resetting his voicemail and packing many of his possessions into a suitcase in a song called Clean. Months pass, during which Patrick murders several people in the song Killing Spree. One afternoon, Patrick's mother arrives on Wall Street expecting to have lunch with her son. Patrick has totally forgotten about the appointment, panics, and begs Jean to dismiss her. Okay, in this part, so like, they are not referring to... They cut out the, okay, so in this synopsis, before that happens where uh, he sings the song Killing Spree, it's actually not Killing Spree. I think they changed that song because then it's called I'm Back. Okay. Um, and he has gone to the Hamptons for the weekend because he's, he's like, his brain is super devolving.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's
2: really losing his mind. So he and Evelyn go to the Hamptons Um, And they're like trying to get away, but he's like really inside himself and he's like wearing a suit at the pool. He's just like (laughs) totally unhinged. Yeah. Um, And he he wanted to go away to like get away to stop himself from like doing these heinous acts. But then um, eventually like he's just like, I can't be here in the Hamptons anymore because the people talking about these like vapid stuff just began to like eat at him so much. So they go back and the killing spree is uh, it's so uh, it's so bloody. It's yeah, (laughs) it was really crazy. Um, And so uh, Ben is Ben again, who plays Patrick Bateman. Sometimes I'll say Ben. Sometimes I'll say (laughs) Patrick. Um so in the opening scene of the musical, he's standing there in like just his underwear because he's like getting dressed for the day. And so they, when they in act two, when he's doing this killing spree in the song called I'm back, uh, again, he's like just in his underwear. Um, and then he like goes on this murder spree and it's like way darker than anything that was in act one. But also, uh, even after he's done singing i'm back he's still walking around covered in blood oh wow in his underwear so like this scene where he's like in his office and he's talking to his assistant and telling his assistant to like make his mother go away he's still covered in blood and so there's But it's certain... a
1: metaphorical it's right. what he sees in his own mind but right. not what anybody
2: else sees that's cool right right that's really cool yeah so it, the funny thing is, like, he would say certain lines uh, that, like, right now I can't think of. I can't think of any of them. But he would say, like, these certain lines about, like, you know, don't you see something? And it and it wasn't, like, a blatant, like, don't you see this blood on me. But it was just, like, something where it was, like, to us, the audience, it's obvious because we yeah. see him covered in blood. But, like, to anybody who's looking at him as as he looks outwardly, like, mm-hmm. how he is making himself look in his suit and like right. he's all put together and everything like they, it wouldn't be obvious. Right. right. Okay. So, um, let's see. Patrick's mother arrives on wall street. It's like, no, okay. Uh, much to Jean's delight. Mrs. Bateman tells her story. Okay. So what happens is Jean convinces Patrick to attend the lunch and offers to join the pair much to Jean's delight. Mrs. Bateman tells her stories about Patrick as a child. Uh Gina's desperately in love with Patrick. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's like this whole thing about girls who pick the wrong men and my god please don't get me started on my soapbox <laughs> about this because for whatever reason like th- this particular week has been really I I I've just been reading a lot and watching like all these things were like Girls' lives sort of revolve around a dude, Mm-hmm. which is, like, highly, deeply upsetting for me.
1: Very. Well, I mean, you and I <laughs> are in our mid-30s. Yeah. Have been single and happy to be so yeah. because the right man hasn't come along. Right. We're not willing to just say, oh, there's a man, I'll take him. No. At all. No.
2: Marriage is real hard. Yeah. But so like to to watch uh, Jennifer Damiano's character just be like so desperate for someone who's so heinous. Ugh. And it's like I don't even understand why she loves him. Like it's not like I mean he's not mean to her. He's not mm-hmm. bad to her. Like he uh, but but I mean. But he's not really nice to anybody. No. Either. Like he will con- converse with her like, you know, a little bit Um you but know he what? like in the opening scene, the first thing he's like telling her not to wear what she's wearing because she's prettier than that. So it's oh just well, like...
1: then that's why, because she's deeply insecure. Yeah. So one little compliment like that, even though the rest of the time he treats her like whatever, that that is what she'll stick to. And so like then it becomes this almost dream character in her mind. Yeah. Hmm. Why do we? I mean, why? Listen, I mean, there are that self-esteem is no joke. Like if you, if you don't have a good support system of people who will build you up as opposed to tear you down or build you up after already being torn down by someone else, then yeah. your self-esteem is shot. And there, there's no way to really come back from that. And so every decision that you make is based on how you feel about yourself. And if you feel so badly about yourself, then it doesn't really matter the decisions that you make. And so in this, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> but I've seen people do this, yeah, yeah. and it's so difficult to, you know, you can't tell someone who feels bad about themselves. Right. But, but, honey, you are beautiful right. inside and out. Because if they don't believe it, then they don't believe you, yeah. and then you're just all of a sudden the liar. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, it's, no,
2: absolutely, I, I, no, I know. And mm-hmm. it's like, and then you, you know, you watch that, and like, you know, you love, you love your friends so much. So then, when you see them like with someone who is not the best for them, and you try to like tell them, and they're you like, "You just want to destroy off. my happiness, right? How dare why aren't you? you? My, like, why are not you? Why doesn't ever happen
1: to me? Yeah. So why aren't you let, Why aren't you happy for me? Why exactly. can't you just
2: like come alongside me and like be with me? And you this? know what?
1: You're jealous. I'm not gonna. It's because you can't find a man like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> when it's like maybe I just like love you and like really want the best for you. I'm like, this is not it.
1: But that person doesn't see that right. you can possibly love them that way, right? so awful
2: Pamela this is if I'm ever <laughs> ever if you ever see me doing something asinine and
1: stupid our Q word is gonna be watermelon and I'll just walk up to you I and be like remember. ebony watermelon and you'll be like what and I'll be like I'll grab you by your ear yeah," and I'll walk you away What? and are I'll you say doing? you don't have to like me but I love you too much yeah. to behave this way <laughs> And I'll do it in my nanny voice.
2: <laughs> I'm not, I'll be mild. But, like, seriously, yeah. I tell all of my friends, don't, don't let friends be stupid. No. Okay. ba <laughs> ba. bah. bah, bah. Uh, all right. So, Luis runs into Patrick at a Barney store and begs Patrick to run away with him. Patrick- oh, that's the gay fiancé. Yes. Okay. Patrick responds aggressively, assaulting and hissing at Lewis. With his appetite for murder now totally unchecked, Patrick targets Jean, offering to take her to dinner at a restaurant of her choice. His sense of inferiority is piqued once again when she suggests Dorcia, uh, where he is still unable to get reservations.
1: Uh, but Paul Owen could get a reservation. Right.
2: <laughs> Who he killed? Yeah. Question mark? Hmm. Patrick gives Jean the rest of the day off. She wonders about her feelings for Patrick in a song called A Girl Before. At Patrick's apartment that night, the pair discuss her hopes and aspirations as he is preparing to murder her. Jean tells Patrick that she's in love with him. Her confession causes him great distress and he implores her to leave. <laughs> he leaves a long voicemail for Kimball confessing to the murder of Paul Owen and countless other people. Kimball is a detective who's like, uh, he was looking for Paul. Okay, And so he knew that Paul and Patrick had like uh, hung out that one night Mm -hmm. where we saw him murder Murder him. him, Yes. Uh, And so and so then that's when Patrick confesses to Kimball because he had been investigating the disappearance of Paul Owen. Okay. The next morning, Jean apologizes to Patrick for what happened the night before. He forgives her and tells her that he will be recommending her for junior executive program. Tim Price unexpectedly arrives at Patrick's office having been AOL from Pearson Pierce Bateman's birthday. Patrick asks him where he's been and Price responds by saying that he's been in New York the whole time, but their paths haven't crossed. He also asks Patrick and Paul o- about po- Paul Owen's disappearance. Poen. Poen. About Poen's disappearance. Poen's disappearance. <laughs> uh, Patrick and Evelyn have their engagement party at the Tunnel Nightclub. In a song called Don't You Want Me, Patrick is noticeably ill at ease and is desperate to go to dinner. Price says he is able to get reservations at Dorcia, which impresses the guests. <laughs> I mean, the vapidness. I know. It's
1: unbelievable. You're like, really? Because I was thinking more Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle.
2: I have a whole thing about Chipotle. Really?
1: Oh, I love Chipotle. You don't like Chipotle.
2: Here's the
1: thing. Mm-hmm.
2: It's fine. <laughs> but like, I have friends who like, I'm like, I we live in New York City. Why are we going here? And there's okay, another yeah, restaurant. Okay, yeah, I totally
1: get that. That I'm
2: not going to say because the person will know who I'm talking about <laughs> if I say. But like, like, every single time they're like, this place, Chipotle or this. And I'm like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> I
1: know. Because when you're surrounded by Greek or Mediterranean or Moroccan or Thai or Indian or so, whatever, like, it's like... Eat, like, I can go
2: to a Chipotle anywhere. Yeah.
1: Anywhere in the United States yes. of America and possibly Canada. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah. So that's like... I know. I mean, I do love a good burrito bowl, and every once in a while I could just really devour one. But, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I, you know, and on Seamless, there are some really good Mexican restaurants yeah. that I will order from that are just authentic, you know, yeah. Mexicans probably from Mexico
2: making this food. <laughs>
0: right.
2: <laughs> yeah. But like, if I live somewhere that wasn't New York and didn't have what we have, mm-hmm. like, I then you know fine i'll go to I, i'll go to Chipotle. <laughs> oh my gosh okay i have to tell you another story okay. okay
1: so when i was doing i was doing a show in indianapolis this was like i don't know 15 years ago something like that a long time ago it was 17 years ago. <laughs> anyway, uh, which doesn't really matter. I'm just making the story longer. So I was doing a show, and there were kids in the show. And so the mom of some of the kids in the show said, Hey, you guys, jump in the car. We're going to drive around. We'll we'll find some lunch. It was on a break mm-hmm. uh, in rehearsal. And so we got in the car, and we were driving around. And there was uh, an empty lot, but there was a sign that said, you know, soon to be Chipotle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mother looks through the window and says, oh, that's going to be a Chipotle. It's going to be so good. (laughs) Or, no, wait, not Chipotle. I think she said Chipotle.
2: Chipotle?
1: Chipotle. And I said, oh, you know, actually, I think that it's pronounced Chipotle. And she goes, oh, Pamela. (laughs) And I was like, how do you come back from that? You can't. No. You can't. She thought I was joking. It's done. She's going to say Chipotle for the whole time. No, Chipotle. Chipotle. (laughs) Chipotle. Wow. I know. And back to American Psycho. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. So the next day, Patrick goes to Paul Owen's apartment, expecting it to be full of decomposing bodies. Because when he did the song that I talked about earlier. Um, Killing Spree? Uh, no, I'm back. Oh, whoa, whoa. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm back. Yeah. He was murdering all these people in Paul Owen's apartment. So it ended oh. up being like his murder den. Okay. And apparently in the movie he does the same thing, right? It's I don't like remember takes, that. But from what I had read that he I mean, that could be right, I just don't remember. After he kills Paul uh and dissolves his body in yeah. lime, he then uses he like It could be goes back to Paul's <laughs> apartment and covers it in plastic and just makes it like his murdering yeah. den. Um uh, full of decomposing bodies and cordoned off by the police. Instead, he finds the apartment vacant and in pristine condition. The real estate agent, Mrs. Wolfe, deflects all of Patrick's questions about Paul Owen and the bodies that were left in the apartment <laughs> before asking him to leave and never return. Wow. Uh, he marries Evelyn and resigns himself to a pointless in existence in which the punishment and notoriety that he craves will forever be denied him. <laughs> And that song is This Is Not An Exit.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a really positive guy.
2: Super positive, really uplifting. Right? Sort of like like just,
1: you know, do something for other than investment banking. Like
2: there's a lot to do in and, this world. Yeah. Okay, so back to the road to Broadway. Mm. America- oh, I forgot this was going to be a Broadway show. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's the Broadway show. No, I synopsis. know it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. that's the, uh, so American Psycho began previews in London on December 3rd, 2013. The run officially opened on December 12th to mixed reviews. Uh-huh. The production extended its run from January 25th, 2014 until February 1st of 2014. Okay. The run of the production was sold out. So this is like what happened with L'estat, right? Yeah. We're like a really great run out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, a typical London performance ran 2 hours and 40 minutes including one interval, which is an intermission of 20 minutes. Okay. So usually our intermission sods are, you know, a London interval, right? <laughs> I'm in a New York we one. We like ours on the longer side. We like with their London interval. Casting was as follows. Patrick Bateman in London was played by Matt Smith, who was a Doctor Who. <gasps> That's, oh, <laughs> I was like, why do I know that yeah. name? Of course. Oh, yeah. and he's
1: one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. And you
2: know what? He plays creepy really well. <laughs> so he probably was pretty good in this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Susanna Fielding uh, was Evelyn Williams Jonathan Bailey was Tim Price Ben Aldridge was Paul Owen and Lucy Jones was Victoria in January of 2015 a New York I'm sorry in January of 2015 a New York workshop was held (laughs) on July 23rd 2015 it was announced that the musical (laughs) She's broke I broke her (laughs) On July new 20... York Shop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> on july twenty-third, two thousand fifteen, it was announced that the musical would open on Broadway on March twenty first, twenty sixteen. Eventually the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater was announced as the venue to house the new production. Okay, here we are on Broadway.
1: On Broadway. <laughs> I just changed keys a million <laughs> times. <laughs>
2: The musical was meant to go to second stage first for a tryout before it went to Broadway.
1: Oh, what happened? Did the theater just open up and they were like, well, we got to take it.
2: Here. (laughs) You have the answers for everything. So the musical was meant to go to second stage first for a tryout before it went to Broadway. It was reported by the New York Times that Act 4 Entertainment, a California-based film production company and a newcomer to the Broadway scene, Had pulled the rights from second stage.
1: Why? But not from Broadway? No. That's... uh, Okay. I I need to know. I know. (laughs) I know. Okay.
2: Because such cancellations are rare. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, this caused much speculation throughout the New York City Broadway community, theater community. In an email interview, the founder of Act 4, David Johnson, said... The terms of the deal with Second Stage, quote, just weren't in the best interests of the production and its continuing life, unquote. But... But Mr. Johnson also acknowledged that several theater professionals had advised him to bypass Second Stage and instead hold a uh, developmental workshop and then open on Broadway. Okay. He confirmed that Mr. Richards and Mr. Frankel were among those offering the advice and also said he was in negotiations with the two men to become fellow lead producers for a Broadway run next fall. Okay. Mr. Johnson said he believed the show was in strong enough shape to go right to Broadway without testing it first with audiences and (laughs) critics at second stage. And everyone who has listened to all of our episodes knows that usually this is the kiss of death.
1: Yep. It's, you know, they're just two different places and two different venues and they don't have the same demographic. Yeah. And you have to keep that in mind. It's so, it's, it's so interesting. It is so interesting to me that this mistake is made so many times. Yeah. And I wonder if it wasn't just like, oh, you're going to take our rights from second stage? Fine. We're going straight to Broadway. Take that.
2: Okay, so, like, um, Dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. sort of, like, just went this route, but, like, actually finished the course. Right. Right? So, I don't know where they were before they were in D.C., but they were, like, in D.C. at the Kennedy Center. Mm-hmm. Or was it Arena Stage? I don't know. Actually, it might have been Arena Stage. Uh Because... Dear Evan Hansen will never be on this show because it's not a flop by any stretch (laughs) of the imagination. It just keeps
1: getting less and less floppy. Yeah.
2: If uh, if you guys could let me know, because I'm not sure if it's Arena Stage or Kennedy. Uh, But then... (laughs) After that, they tried it again at second stage. Mm-hmm. And so was at second stage for like three months. Right. Where the guys could still work on it.
1: Because you get your New York audience. Yeah. You get the full spectrum of what you would get on a Broadway show, but it's less risk because it's not Broadway yet. Right. But you still have the chance, you're right, to change things around yeah. if need be. Ugh.
2: Yeah. And then they brought it to Broadway and I saw it and I love the crap out of that show. Yes, and it she won the did. Tony for Best Musical. Yes, it did. And it will never be on this podcast no, it because won't. it is not a flop. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying.
1: How, I mean, like how interesting that it really did come down to the producers, like just trying to one up each other and in a very American Psycho-like standoff Yeah.
2: Oh gracious sakes Well Broadway previews began at the Schoenfeld on March 24th 2016 The show officially opened on April 21st 2016 The show cost 8.8 million dollars to produce It opened to mixed reviews And it closed on June 5th 2016 After 27 previews and 54 performances I have friends that saw it mm-hmm. and they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I made a face. I'm realizing <laughs> I'm doing things that like Pamela can see and y'all can't. And that's not how you do a podcast. So I apologize. So her
1: face basically said, oh, we didn't like it very much, but we don't want to say anything bad because we don't like to denigrate musical theater yeah, on
2: this podcast. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that's too bad.
2: Um Insiders speculate that the show was not appealing to tourists or even your avid and most adventurous theater goer as it lacked much of the st- satirical edge that the film had. hmm Okay. So, American Psycho closed at a total loss, but the theater occupancy averaged about 84%. Wow. So, I mean, listen, I'm on a couple of papering sites, so, like, I see how that works. Yeah. Um. I have yeah. friends that like work. Yeah, free tickets. Yeah, you know,
1: just to get the occupancy up, we'll, the theater right. will will issue free tickets to to companies. Yeah.
2: Um. And then, even though the show closed before the 2016 Tony Awards, it was nominated for two. So S. Devlin and Finn Ross uh, were nominated for Best Scenic Design of a Musical, and Justin Townsend. Uh, was nominated for Best Lighting Design of a Musical, but both lost. Okay. It was last reported that in 2015, it was still in the works and will be a sequel where Patrick, in his mid-50s, is just as crazy as he always was and takes on a sadistic protege as a social experiment. Oh, my gosh. You know,
1: I can actually see that. I can actually see that. Not, and I could actually see the original American Psycho being a TV show, too, only because when you've got a limitation of 42 minutes, yeah. uh, it, does, it can't be as controversial. It can't be as full as the bad stuff. But also, like, you look at shows like Dexter yeah. uh, and, and other shows like that, mm-hmm. and
2: it doesn't seem as bad. Does that make sense? I I never saw Dexter. Like I saw a piece of one episode. And I think too
1: you can play up the humor a little bit more yeah. in TV. Yeah. Dexter is all about a serial killer.
2: That I I will say, you know, after having watched the musical, it didn't have There was a couple of like like funny moments, you know, in life as you do, but like it it didn't have like a very satirical Well, I feel like sometimes
1: satire doesn't necessarily mean, like, ha, ha, ha. No, I know, but, like,
2: it it was just, like, dark and, like, disturbing. Like, it didn't feel... I feel, well, at least in the movie,
1: I think the satire comes in the form of that late 80s, early 90s materialism where... Men, the only thing they cared about was success, how they looked on the outside, you know, what kind of watch they were wearing. Oh, you're you're wearing a Rolex? Yes, but what year? Mine's a brand new one. You know, this restaurant, such and such, you know what I mean? Like, that is where the satire comes into play, not necessarily with the being a serial killer, not necessarily in the killing, but in in the fact that he is saying, this is the world we live in, where... This man can be doing this behind our backs and we have no clue. Right. Because he still wears a really nice suit the next day.
2: But but see, like, the thing was, as they said in the original, like, California, produ- or not California, London production, mm-hmm. you know, it had more of a, like, there was a little bit more of a comedic, like, like I, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. and And it had lost all of that by the time it got to America because, like, they won't think we'll get it yeah um and so i think you know i when I saw it and 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 the scenes like um like you are you are what you wear like mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that song, and I wished that there was more of that, yeah um and so I think that that was like a little tiny bit of the satirical comedic edge that they were talking mm-hmm. about that was in the london production could be that had lost you know, most of that by the time it got to Broadway. Absolutely.
1: It's nine 32 right now. Way past your bedtime.
2: I'm so tired right
1: now. I'm like fading like a little flower. Yeah.
2: It's time to go guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Yes. uh, Check us out on Facebook. Theater geeks anonymous. Check us out on Twitter. Follow us at TGA. (laughs) (laughs) Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher and SoundCloud if Mm -hmm. you have Android. Rate, review, subscribe. I said that.
1: I know. (laughs) I just remembered that you said that after I said it. (laughs) It's cool.
2: She's tired. I'm tired, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for we listening. super appreciate it. You guys Please, are awesome. Please, like, reach out to us with any questions, concerns. Tell us
1: where you're from. Yeah. We had a <laughs> – I did my terrible Australian accent in one of those episodes yeah, back there.
2: Yeah, and Donna reached out to us, that, and she, she was like, like – It was a terrible accent. Yes.
1: <laughs> but I knew that, Donna.
2: <laughs> and then a couple of my friends, when we were really struggling with names, they were <laughs> – super kind to like be like ebony on twitter and email me and be like ebony these
1: are the people that you were trying to think of
2: (laughs) i'm still on the intermission so i was like wait where were the people
1: i know we both forgot and then we we, then we got it together but eileen brennan and uh mark mark ruffalo yeah (laughs) anywho all right bye good night Bye. will it be good night it will be for me